You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network that has a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also like to dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. The Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and you want to help support it, just go to patreon.com slash thebatmanbc. It helps keep the generators running in the Wayne Manor study. Now, thank you for listening to episode 112, Kelly Jones. That's the Kelly Jones, the one who haunted comic book pages in the 90s. I don't want to spoil what the conversation is about, but Kelly Jones, a massive thank you to you for sitting down with me for a little over 90 minutes to just talk about Batman and your time on Batman and letting us letting us in a little bit on your process and reliving memories. And so I just need to stop talking and let's just move on to my conversation with Kelly Jones. Jones. Kelly, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Batman Book Club. Uh, more than welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I, uh, I'm honored. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I have a lot of questions for you. A lot of things I want to talk about, but I ask everyone when it's their first time on the show, uh, what sure. is your favorite Batman story? My favorite Batman story, uh, I would have to say, is the Inglehart uh, uh, Rogers run and Detective, which is to me the defining definitive perfect batman and nice. if i were an editor of batman i wouldn't say anyone has to live up to something or copy it or anything i'd say that that's the atmosphere and the tone mm-hmm. that you want to keep no matter how you do it um i think it's uh one of the most amazing just in comics in general mm-hmm. uh i think it's one of the most amazing stories runs ever and it defined all those characters and uh if you were not the the the, i always measure things by if you weren't a fan of something if you weren't a fan of comics or the character whatever if you read that you would be just as impressed as someone who loved it It, Mm -hmm. it's that good um it's one of those little miracles that happen uh every so often where the right person uh, writes it the right person draws it the right character at the right time it just all came together and none of it was intended it's hard to make something special but i remember um friends of mine at, at the comic shop i was going to i was just a kid and they knew i was not really reading that stuff said you have to give this a shot and that's the best thing someone can say is it transformed them it took them from not being a fan or not having it on their radar to saying I, I I'm now a fan of this and it made me buy up all the Batmans and get into it and understand it. But to this day, I can go back and read it for pleasure, you know? Yeah. Wow. So that was kind of your gateway then. Yeah, it was. In, into Batman. 
Perfect. I yeah. mean, that was a story I was going to get to is ask you kind of your origin with, uh, with that. Well, I, I, go, had the, the good, I had the good fortune of meeting Marshall Rogers at the time, uh, about a year after those came out. And um, I never used to do that, but I made a point to go. I think he and John Byrne were the guys that I made a point to go see uh, as a kid because their work made me like stuff that I hadn't liked or wasn't really interested in, or it wasn't on my radar. Like I said, uh, I was reading all different kinds of stuff, but uh, Rogers work is still to me the definitive Batman in my head. It's the one I see. Yeah, I've, I've mentioned that a lot on this, um, in this show of my love for now called the strange apparitions. Yeah. It's just, you know, yeah. they didn't, yeah, like, they didn't have a title for it then. It was just, you know, uh, Steve Englehart wrote the scripts in advance. He had no idea Marshall Rogers was going to draw them. Marshall was assigned it because he had done some cool little backups and people dug it. Um, and he interpreted those scripts brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I don't think uh, Steve Englehart saw them until he got back from Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, they were drawn and produced and on the stands and out and made a huge splash. And he didn't know it until he came back. Uh, is, and so wild. Know Rogers was going to be on it. It's just one of those f- flukes that happen. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I, I would almost um, a friendly argument of, has there been any team that's had, more of an impact with such a small amount of story. you know it's six regular issues no and it i can't define it because it influenced the films mm-hmm. uh that subsequently came later on and it changed how everyone did the joker mm-hmm. uh i think it's still the most disturbing joker i've ever read um and he doesn't do all the stuff that later on which is kind of over the top to me but uh, but his stuff was, you know, this guy just had his view of the world the way it was, and uh, he needed the Batman in it. This was all brand new stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what his goals were made no sense, um, but they did to the Joker. And uh, th- I think there's some of the, it, there's some of the funniest but most frightening at the same time things happening. And that's a hard thing to do as a writer. Um, much harder, too, for the artist to get that across. It all just came together. I, I always tell people when they read it, it could have came out right today. Mm-hmm. If it was yeah. coming out today, it would be huge, just like it was then. What are we, almost like 45 years later? And I think it yeah, still I guess feels so fresh. Yeah, still I think feels it's so fresh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if... Like I said, I would just make it, uh, if I was running DC, it would just be something I'd put out once a year. Mm-hmm. We just keep it in print because you want people to uh, always see your best stuff. And yeah. as a company, that was a real high watermark. And that's Absolutely. not to say, you know, I loved, uh, obviously, I loved O'Neill and Adams stuff mm-hmm. when I came to that. Uh, there's always individual stories here and there. Uh, I dug those quite a bit. Um and they were they were uh, every bit as important. Um, it's just I think as as something that is crystallized or distilled or whatever you want to say, it was those. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they were deadly serious with a sense of humor, but the humor was within the action. And it wasn't made for laughs. It was like grim, but it was mm -hmm. it was there, you know. Um, it had so many firsts in it that uh, that for me just knocked me out. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and and the depiction of Batman was perfect, dead on. You know, there's a little thing if people go and look at it. Uh, Marshall would draw Batman a certain height, but when he would draw Bat him as Batman, he added one head higher to it. <laughs> it was a subtle thing, right? It was just this subtle thing that he was more impressive. Yeah. Uh, but it's a great touch. Oh, oh, uh, I mean, it's one of those things I that uh, you subliminally notice it. And it's once he, once he told me that, I went, oh, yeah, that's just, that's thinking. That's really good thinking. That's awesome. That that's your favorite story and you got to meet the artists. Yeah. Of that run. That's, yep. that's great. Uh, you said that it kind of, uh, the impact it had, well, in some firsts on the art. Well, I think that many could say that that's, that's a similar impact that you, like your art had on them. Especially well, I, like for, for Batman and the world of Gotham and his villains. And I, and I appreciate that because when I came to Batman, I didn't know I was going to get Batman. So mm -hmm. Uh, I was doing my own thing. And when it came to me, uh, my, I felt that if I was to do something uh, with, with the character, I had to bring something of myself because I had been doing that with Sandman. I've been doing that with dead man. And I didn't want to just ape a style or follow mm -hmm. uh, a, a kind of a same tone. And uh so I wanted what I wanted to bring was a very film noir and gothic feeling to it. I didn't know how to do that. I mean, I knew what I wanted. I could say it verbally, but visually, I didn't know how to do that. Um, so I then, I think, I think uh, for me, it was I always fall back on well, if I invented the character, you know, how would I do it uh, if if I was inventing it, and. I try not to overthink it. I, I don't I don't go into it thinking, well, what if I was Batman? I always think of it, what if Batman was like in the alley or what if he was after me or what would what would get to me? Because his whole thing was fear. And what just came to me was that cape and cowl. I mean, that it's there already, but I made that the centerpiece. It wasn't everything else. And then the and then when you have that idea, it spawns other ones. And that's why I would make uh, the utility belt really be a utility belt with just all kinds of odds and ends just uh but that's the fun of comics you know there's an eccentricity in comics and batman of all comics lets you be more eccentric you can do more of those things i decided as well to make the city be i didn't want new york with the lights off i wanted it to be its own city and mm -hmm. i wanted it to be an anachronistic city as well as an advanced city so you'd have all the modern stuff, but you'd also have steam trains and hook and ladder phones next to state-of-the-art computers. It's just an odd place and an odd place that makes these people. It isn't Batman creates it or they, you know, it's it's not. It's Gotham itself is a weird place. And it and mm -hmm. and I got that just from um when I would travel to different cities. Cities have different vibes. And uh, I just didn't want it relatable to New York or anything mm -hmm. like that. I wanted it to be its own thing and 
uh, what I what I enjoy about comics, especially if you're going to do something like Batman or any run, is you come up with that primary idea of what you want to say with it and let that create more ideas. Uh, I Because I would have had, in no way would I have been able to explain that to Denny O'Neill when he hired me, that I was going to do all these things. I didn't know. I just knew I they wanted me to do the book and that and, and okay. And within no time, this whole thing just sort of uh spread like a disease as it were and <laughs> and it's fun i mean you just the ideas would just yeah be all over the place and those ideas in keep in in staying with that idea of a film noir gothic atmosphere um i thought i had a better chance to of just competing because at the time image comics were very big and they had a certain style and there was a a, a lot of uh, just visually things uh, had a very different style in comics. Then, and I had thought, well, that's not going to serve me. That mm-hmm. that kind of thing isn't going to serve me. So I'll just go with what I like. I kept it just with, you know, I decided to, if I was going to do this, try to stay in the time that uh, influenced me mm-hmm. and stay in that time. And uh, as far as comics go, and that really helped. Um, and so I've always felt like when I look at those now, I don't do it very often, but when I do, I'm not, it's not a thing where you go, okay, I'm not embarrassed. You know, a lot of times you look, oh God, what did I do? But <laughs> they, they, they have their own timelessness to that uh, kind of personal or sincere way to do it. I was making a point not to be influenced by the times I was in, or the uh, the the artistic movements that were going on, I decided just to do uh, Batman as a as something where uh, I felt people could come and it would be quieter, a quieter book. You know, they weren't connected to others. There wasn't mm-hmm. huge things going on. Um, they were just very intimate, uh, pure. Batman stories. It's the it's the only way I really knew how to do it because if you think too much, you'll ruin it. Yeah. And so I just kept it small, um, and it worked. Was Red Rain was that the uh, what do you want to say the the starting point on Batman for you then? Yeah. Well, Red Rain was um, I had just finished a storyline with Sandman, and they'd asked me, "Would you like to continue as the regular artist on Sandman?" Uh, and uh, at that point and or would you like to take a shot at at doing this something with batman at that Mm -hmm. point and uh whereas i had a good time with sandman that was like being called up to play for the yankees or something because uh and i never thought anyone would call me about something like that i think i was (laughs) i was fairly shocked i understood monster books or horror books or uh, stuff like that um that I, I got, but they saw what I was doing with Dead Man and Sandman. They mentioned a swamp thing I'd done, and they really liked that I would take it and and do kind of unique versions of this stuff. Um, so uh, they were very ex- experimental then. They were, uh, you know, you had a lot of different guys doing things there with the character. So they just said, yeah, what, why would you, you know, give it a shot. Uh, they were careful. They put it in an Elseworld, which was a new thing then. So people wouldn't go bonkers. 
<laughs> but uh, but it did really, really well. Mm -hmm. And so not much longer after that, they, that's when they asked me to start doing covers for Batman. Um, I never really knew what was going on in those books. They would give a shorthand, but they liked the Batman they were seeing. And I think it helped that I didn't know because I was just doing this Batman mm -hmm. the way uh, he appealed to me. I, it's very hard to go out and do this with the idea, well, I'm going to make something everybody likes. I, I don't know how to do that. And I don't, and I applaud anyone who does. I have no idea how to read an audience. I just do it thinking, well, there's got to be a handful of people like me and that maybe they'll like it. And then I go from there. And um, I've always done it with the idea that it's the last thing they'll let me do. And <laughs> they're going to, you know, uh, but there's a, a freedom in that. Mm -hmm. And in that freedom, and in those, and in that freedom, the ideas blossom. And that's where this version of Batman came from. I was very, I, I knew I'd kind of hit on something after a while because I would have a lot of other artists and other comic book creators tell me how much they, they enjoy it, even to this day. Like yeah. it was, but when you're that close to it, you don't know how different you are. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend that to anyone creatively or anything in life. When, when you stay true to something or sincere to whatever it is, you have a better chance of it uh, connecting. And I wanted a very definitive Batman in my head, what it was and that made him interesting and cool and worthy of someone plunking down their money to follow it. And uh, maybe holding on to him and read him later on and go, hey, these were, this is, you know, one of the things they would keep. I, it, you stay in that because that's all you have. I, I didn't think sales or I didn't think mm -hmm. anything like that. I didn't, because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. I'm, I am as shocked as anyone when something does that well, because I'm not thinking on those terms. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I do know that I don't want to be bored. And yeah. so when I'm working every day, I know if I'm bored, everyone else is going to be bored. I'd rather have them. I'd rather do it where I'm not bored and happy that day and someone really disliking it. than I made someone happy, but I was in mental prison while doing it. You know, sure. it's, it's gotta be, there's gotta be that excitement to it, you know? So, I mean, I guess as far as red rain would come then. So I assume that like the script is probably done and it was thinking whose art would, well, would go no, with what this. It, what would have happened is Doug Mensch who wrote it had mm -hmm. an idea for this very Gothic story of Batman that was horror, but you know, in a Gothic story, even though the goals are accomplished, the, the, some, the, the good wins in the end as it is, everybody can die in it. It can mm -hmm. be very, very, uh, uh, bleak that way and uh he had seen what i'd done on dead man he'd seen what i'd done on sandman and he thought hey i think this guy might be the one so he called me up and he said i have this idea would you be interested and um you know at that point uh just the simple and and he had at that time doug uh, was very close to Denny O'Neill and Denny had just said, if you give me a script, I'll approve it. So he said, it's a gig. All I have to do is turn it in. I'll send it to you. You read it over. 
I read it and I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it was, it was, uh, the story was there, but there was a lot left open for me to interpret a very organic. So it wouldn't say how Batman would look. It would just say he's hungry. He's this way. Or, uh, I wouldn't say how they're doing something would just, he would describe the violence in a certain way or the, the, the atmosphere in a certain way. So it left a pretty open to interpretation. Um, though the script was brilliantly executed. Um, so they approved it. I don't really think even DC knew what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I know I certainly didn't. Doug may have, but I didn't. I did, it kind of grew in the telling as I went. And, uh, and I thought that would be it. I thought that would be the only time I would do anything with Batman because it was so different. And it was a, in, a, a story that had a beginning, middle and end. It was done. And they were having great success anyway on Batman. Why would they, you know? So I was just happy to tag along and get a piece of it and then be able to one day tell friends and family and kids, hey, I did a Batman one time. Look, you know, that was that was it. Um, and because I figured I'd go right back to mm-hmm. uh, the more bizarre and horrific things and, and whatever. And it uh, probably is with Rogers and, uh, and Englehart I was at the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and I had struck a chord and I didn't look like anybody else and I wasn't like anyone else and uh, good or bad, they, they can, that's a, you kind of strive for that in anything yeah. creative, just to kind of be your own, your own guy. And uh, because probably it didn't hurt that I was, uh, you know, I lived on the West coast and uh, and without, uh computers and social stuff i didn't know anything that was going on i just Mm -hmm. i lived in a semi-rural area and i just did my thing uh no one i knew really was into comics so it was just something i would do turn it in and then go uh you know live life and so i didn't have i didn't really know the reaction to these things till well after they were Mm -hmm. had come out you know they would tell me they would say something, but I didn't know what the uh, general impact was until they would say, hey, come here, sign here, do something like that. And then I would be overwhelmed. It, it was, um, I mean, that first 15 minutes, it's okay. After that, you're like, oh, no, my God, now there's pressure on me. You know, now yeah. uh, this stuff I wasn't thinking of is now, now I got to think about it like <laughs> this. Um, uh, it's like those old movies or old shows or whatever, you know, you're okay when you're uh when you're just talking when they said the red lights on now 10 million people are watching you freeze you know and yeah yeah (laughs) i had to uh so i went back to my little semi-rural house and and kind of detoxed after that first reaction they were telling me that i don't want to say i was ignorant of it they were telling me hey this is doing but that doesn't mean i mean that's just the people i always talk to and Mm -hmm. uh you know you do an interview here or there on in a publication, but those are small. And, um, and my, like I said, 99% of my friends never read, they were all real world people, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's like I did this thing and, and that was that. So I think all those things impacted the value of what I did because I was completely ignorant of, as to everything else. That's, that's great because I think that it would, I can only imagine that it would also 
help and benefit you too. If like you'd said, you were just kind of doing what you imagine Batman to be. And that's what all you've been doing. And then they tell you that's working. So you don't really, you're just like, okay, I'm going to keep doing Batman as I see Batman, as I believe Batman should be. Well, I had the good good fortune of Danny O'Neill being an editor who Mm -hmm. uh, being one of the premier people involved in this character. So when he would look at it, I mean, I, I would trust him uh, with his opinion as with Doug Minch, they would just say, Hey, this is fine. I didn't Mm -hmm. really ask, but I was because you're always afraid if you ask, they'll say no, <laughs> or they'll yeah. say, well, we've been meaning to talk to you. You know, it opens the door to something. The old saying, uh, ask for forgiveness and not permission. So right. And so I, was, <laughs> I had learned to not ask for permission. Mm-hmm. And but then I in in my own way, odd way of thinking, I thought, well, that's what they're going to want. They're going to want if they just yeah. want the same thing. There's plenty of guys who can do that. If they're asking me, then I'd rather fail being me than trying to be somebody else and or trying to make someone happy. So I'd work on making myself happy. And since I didn't get any real feedback and since I didn't really hear anything, it had its own little organic yeah. uh, personal touch. It's it's probably why that run. I mean, I hear. I heard a lot of, of nice things from artists at the time. And I really hear it now from the next generation of artists who grew up with it um, as it was very liberating to them or whatever. It's mm-hmm. that is touching because they're not talking about my technical abilities. They're not talking, they're talking about the emotion of it. And any, any art you receive it emotionally, it should be created emo- with emotion and received with emotion, not technical stuff, not how realistic did you make his boots or something like that? It should be how <laughs> did it strike you when, yeah. when you got to it? And, uh, and I was lucky because Doug wrote those kind of stories. And, um, and so I just, you know, I went to town on it. I, I just, I enjoyed that period because mm-hmm. there was so much freedom to it. And like I said, my biggest fear is boredom. And I was never bored doing that, even though it's a lot of work to do a monthly. And I always recommend to artists, try to do more than three or four issues a year. Try to do 12. Try to get on a book. And, and that's where your style will develop. That's where your personal artistic, whatever that is, will come out. It won't come out by just drawing something uh, and taking months and months and months to do an issue. You, you have to put yourself between the hammer and the anvil and get it out. And then things happen. The little miracles will happen. Well, the fact you and I are sitting here and talking because I just tweeted out, I think, to you because I did a picture of that run from the 90s, these collections. And you responded to it and uh, much appreciated because I think I'm definitely not alone. And I think the Doug Minch, Kelly Jones run of Batman in the 90s was one of the defining teams of that book in that that decade the decade before the decade after yeah i so look, I'd love I'm, to I've hear been, about that run with doug mensch i i think that uh as as i said earlier you can't go into something saying we're gonna do something special what you can do though is say i'm gonna go into something give it my all mm-hmm. and so i was riffing off doug and doug was riffing off me so we were just going back and forth and it was really between us. And um, what would happen is he would look at what I was doing 
and it would make him feel he could be more personal in his writing and vice versa. So it just kept getting more and more like he, uh, my whole my whole audience was basically just the team on the book. It would mm-hmm. be it would be Doug, John, Greg, and Todd, and we it would just be us. And I wasn't really thinking of everybody else. I know you're you know it is because the books come out, but I wouldn't really while doing the book that was my focus. I would look at a printed copy when it came out just to check and see if some of the tricks work and then go on to the next. And I didn't really think of it more than that. Um, But that, I think, I I mean, I'm not going to be naive here. I thought about a year and a half into it. I thought, okay, we're on, this is, this is Mm -hmm. looking or feeling good. Mm -hmm. Like I got a real grasp of this thing. And it was very natural. And I'll be honest, Danny O'Neill used to call me every so often. And he's, and he would say, look, I know I d- you don't hear from me that much, but that's because I don't really need to tell you anything. So I don't want you to think I'm ignoring you. I don't want you to think I don't. He says, I'm just going to say, I think something special is going on. And, but I don't want to muck with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, but every six weeks or so, he'd get a call just a lot of times. It's just, how are you doing? And, what's going on. And he would tell me stuff and that would be that. And because Mm -hmm. he didn't want to, he didn't want to stir the pot too much and, and affect it. Um, Probably because he had been through that in in his time with Adams, he was just doing his thing. And, uh, and at that point um, I was enjoying that Doug was writing like one part or two part stories, nothing huge, Mm -hmm. um, no great, uh, soul shattering emotion. It was just pure Batman, like what it would be. Mm-hmm. And he, he, his interpretation of Batman was, uh, he's not crazy. He's not, you know, he's just a very determined one track, like a human cat. There's something and I have to get it. And that was, that was how I, I saw him. I didn't see him as this conflicted person or the multiple personalities or, you know, that kind of stuff. It was like, uh, this is what he does and he does it better than anyone. And uh, he only does it at night and he plays up the fear mm-hmm. and everything is towards intimidation. I remember Doug saying all the time, draw him intimidating. Never think that he relaxes for a moment when he's in the uniform. And I thought that's brilliant. You know, So that was a main part of discussion with you too, was him. He wasn't painting the picture for you. It was no, emotion. He, he was What's the emotion he, here. He was, I mean, he would say to me, well, what villains do you want to do? What would you mm-hmm. like to do that way? Um, I would always tell him what I tell any writer. Don't write to what you think my strengths are. Write what you want to write and I'll figure it out. You know, even if it's something I, I not, is not my wheelhouse, I'll figure it out. That's the only way I'll, I'll, get better and it's my job um but i would tell him characters i would to give him general things like only you know the only at night thing was something i think i said mm-hmm. um i don't want him in space and i don't want him uh avoid robin as much as you can because i saw him as a loner um it, i was very big on that kind of grit of the city uh, I, I told him once, I said, the city is what makes these people. It isn't the people. Mm. It, it's the city does it. So give me locales or give me the chance to to kind of show that off, that it's this weird city. And uh, whatever the reason is, 
Um, I said, Gotham's been this way when it was just uh, a little trading village, uh, you know, and, and uh, there was some Dutch farmers. It was weird then, you know, <laughs> so uh, it's just a weird place. So I said, that's how I'm going to do it. And uh, I remember uh, Denny once called and says, you have a steam train right in the middle of, you know, this whole, and I said, doesn't it seem like there'd be a steam train there? And he says, you know, I was going to call to tell you to change it to electric, but I kind of, he agreed. He said, no, I think you're right. I think it, I said, and also for people reading it, it stops them for a minute to kind of look at the environment and not just see it as wallpaper in the background. There's stuff going on, you know, that's different. And that adds to the atmosphere of this character. It just makes it fun. And comics at their very soul are one one part eccentric, one part fun. And however the story turns out, good, bad, indifferent, that's what it has to be to make us different from films and television and everything else is the eccentricity has to come from your creators. Mm -hmm. And the fun has to be that whatever the journey was a blast. And, and a blast can be, why is there a steam train here? If someone says there shouldn't be a steam train here, and I don't know how his boots lace. You don't need to read this. <laughs> you know, you don't need to. You're you're not. You know, you're you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. And you can get that from the other stuff. Here, it's just the joy of this eccentric thing we still do. You're all by yourself when you're reading it. Um, it's quiet. There's no sound. You have to do all this stuff in your head. Take advantage of it. I mean, rather than see it as a limitation, you take advantage of it. And that's all I was trying to do. I mean, it made for longer days, but it made it much more interesting. Mm -hmm. I've always found your stuff is very atmospheric yeah. and definitely would make me, and not just because it says right on your shirt right now, but the yeah. Universal Monsters. Yeah. And German expressionism Absolutely. film, and it, especially in your alleys, which I know is such a weird thing to point out, like a, such yeah. a specific detail, but like your alleys felt very much that way. And I, I just thought, I think that a mission accomplished, obviously, all these years later, uh, but what you were hoping readers to get out of it, it's just kind of, I feel like I'm definitely not alone in that, of you're just immersed in this world because of the, the atmosphere that you're building. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that was all in, that's all intentional. Everything mm -hmm. like that, what you said, was intentional. And it was done with the idea <clears throat> that Gotham is character. So I couldn't skimp on that. And um, and Gotham being a character has to have, the, the alley should be symbolic of all of the, all of the, the, the undercurrent, the underbelly of this place. Not all of it's bad. But all of it is a little crazy. The city was born crazy and it's a little crazy. It doesn't mean evil. That's mm -hmm. two different things. It just means a little crazy. And crazy can be good. But if, if allowed to be taken to a, a more anarchic side, you get the Joker, you get the Penguin. Batman was, you know, people always used to say to me, well, he's not successful because these guys still do what they do and whatever. And I said, no, he's extremely successful. That's why they're crazy is they keep opposing him. They, the, the definition of yeah. crazy is you keep doing the same thing and mm -hmm. you fail. And that's what they're doing. I said, regular people, they don't recommit a crime. I mean, they're done. Mm -hmm. Once he says, stop it, 
drags them off. Regular folks, they change their lives. That's how I always saw it. And it's why they would tolerate him. Uh, law enforcement would tolerate him and let you break all of your constitutional rights, right? So um, he would tell regular thieves and burglars and rapists and murderers, regular ones, uh, never again, don't ever do this again. Mm-hmm. And you would never do it again. Even if you had to go to jail, you'd, you'd straighten your life and whatever. Um, the crazy guys, the scarecrows and the penguins and all the rest of them, yeah, they'll just keep doing it again. That's why they're nuts. Mm-hmm. And and the optimism of Batman, he's not this grim thing, is maybe they will change. That's why yeah. he does what he does. Maybe they will change. Um, he doesn't hate them. How can you hate them? Um, but crime he hates, but these people are insane. Mm-hmm. And that's, I just saw that as actually an optimistic point with him yeah i like that that. yeah that he's that he feels that their their life has value because he had lives taken from him he can't do that and you don't know what will happen and you don't know what that person will be who knows i mean it's impossible to think but i always used to hold that think when i was talking to doug i said you know we should do a there should be this one story maybe where uh where for a moment you can kind of see what the Joker would have been if this had, if he wasn't this way, what, hmm. what positives would he have done in the world? Like if he, you know, Joker gets head hit in the head for whatever. And for an issue, he does good until his, you know, he comes back. Yeah. It's like his amnesia is he does good. And we never got, that was to be in our fourth year. I was going to put forward just a one issue of he gets knocked in the head and he does, he's amazing. He's just this uh, lucid, uh, insightful, like uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes on steroids. He can just assess, he just can diagnose something, or he can figure something out, and he's doing real good in the world. And then it, the bad stuff comes back. Did you ever Whatever. relay that idea to anybody? Uh, I. It's touched on lightly when I did Kings of Fear, which okay. was a few years ago, where we did a thing of what would Gotham be like. And I told the writer then, Scott Peterson, mm-hmm. uh, that I told him this thing. And he had, he had, so he put in like a, just a page here or there of what would they be like if, if they weren't crazy. And, um, but that was one of the things that we did the first three years. And then the last year, I wanted to do some of these kind of more bizarre stories Doug had uh, Doug and I had created this character, and if you read the the three year run, you'll see this odd little character in the background, the marionettes. He's doing this little marionette thing, puppet thing, and that character was to dominate our oh. finale season, finale year. But in that, I was going to have these. Uh, I had a few of these odd little stories that um, I thought would really work, and it was. Um, these these kind of sad it was sad to me to see what the Joker could have been you know but it would also justify because I was tired of the criticism that Batman's a failure because he doesn't just kill him or do yeah. whatever which is which is meaning he gives up on being Batman he gives up on that philosophy so that was that was kind of the thing was these kind of optimistic stories kind of sad stories uh 
which still kept the flavor and the tone of of Batman. I ask because it reminds me a little bit of a Legends of the Dark Knight story called Going Sane, where yeah. Joker thinks that Batman has been killed and he's dead. So the Joker then feels like he's lost purpose of being Joker. Yeah. And so he does go sane. It just really made me trigger that. Like, did you ever share this idea? Because I'm seeing a little bit of similarities, but the rest well, of it, not with, so much. With my thing, <laughs> it was, you know, like I said, he's hit in the head and it's uh, like an amnesia. Yeah. So, but his mind is still so high functioning at all levels. He's the ultimate multitasker, right? Mm-hmm. So he's doing all these things and it's, it's, it's all positive. And it's not that Batman makes him this way. Batman's in opposition to him. And that's interesting. That's to, to the Joker. It's interesting. It's something to do because he he's uh, very much like Sherlock Holmes. When there was no case, he would go take cocaine. Mm-hmm. The Joker's biggest fear is there wouldn't be a Batman or he, he can't. He, he's meaningless without that. All of those things are just sadistic. They're meaningless. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where that came from. I mean, that was one of the things we wanted to do. And um, but at that point, uh, I think the powers that be it wasn't, you know, uh, publishing was we want to tie all the books together. And there would have been no way to tell the stories we want to do coherently then Mm -hmm. so i was afraid that i would just then not do my best stuff or i would not have that same wind in my sails and that's when i uh i left at that point it was nothing animatis it was i mean sales wise they're right if you tie all the books together you're gonna make more money so and that's why the books weren't reprinted for a long time because they weren't tied to anything uh they were amongst the most i think they had told me for years, they were in the top five requested to be reprinted that DC would get. And eventually they did. Mm-hmm. And were you given a heads up on the reprints? Yeah, they, they, they got a hold of me. Yeah, they got a hold of me and they said, uh, we're going to do it in two volumes. And uh, uh, the orders were tremendous for a hardcover. They had uh, for hardcover. That was a, a reprint of a run that they had not seen numbers like that. And then it sold out as fast as it did. Yeah. And that's because they hadn't been reprinted. And that's because they were very eccentric. Those stories to mm-hmm. this day, I, I would say that when people get to it, um, they're just as bizarre as they probably were when they <laughs> first came out because you're used to this certain thing. And th- but, mm-hmm. but I always tell people if they give it a chance, they're going to see a very definitive Batman. Not a, it's, yeah. it's like probably its closest relatives are the 40s. Um, mm-hmm of what that character was then uh, that, especially the early years where, where it's, you know, yeah. uh, uh, pretty, pretty eccentric book then. And so that's where its roots really are. That's it's, it's fathers and mothers are those early issues. Um, I, was, I was trying to find an example of the next thing I was going to point. And I got to your, I got to your uh, steam engine. Yeah. <laughs> going yes. through Gotham. Yeah. Uh, what I really loved that I think was also really unique is at the end of each issue and your, your tease for what's next. Yeah. And it's its own, like, uh, what do you want to say? Um, it's its own panel, just teasing. Yeah. And, and I love that. Like, I know I'm asking almost 30 years later of, was that just your idea of, yeah, we know what we're going next. Let's do it. No, I'm a big, I'm a, I felt I wanted to decorate Batman. If you notice mm-hmm. in a lot of issues, there's chapter breaks, mm-hmm. right? Chapter one this chapter two that 
um, that got to be difficult because then I would have to read. I, I was determining where those chapters were. Doug wasn't. And so Doug didn't know I was really going to, I just decorate. So I would do a little opening panel and then I would do these little chapter breaks. And then Doug finally says, hey, don't do the chapter breaks because you're going to get those wrong. Let me figure it. So he started getting involved <laughs> and I said, okay, that helps, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so he started uh, telling me, okay, he would break it down to where the chapters were. And then I would have to, I would read the script and think of what symbolic little panel could I put there for chapter two, blah, 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 chapter three, whatever. And I always had felt that that kind of decoration to a book made it more intimate and made it more special. And it made the fans and the readers become more connected to that the way I was. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know, but that's how it worked for me. And I, I thought it was charming, just a charming yeah. little extra. Um, when you did next issue, this is coming. When I was a kid reading comics, I loved next issue. This is coming, you know? And I, I remember, uh, Wrightson did it in Swamp Thing so well, like, you know, there'd be a little thing for what's coming next. And then you'd spend, uh, that period of time waiting wondering because that thing you you had the satisfaction of the story and then whetted your appetite for the next for the next piece um but it's just delight it's just the mm -hmm. charm and the eccentricity of comics you know yep. it's that uh fourth wall you break it down a little bit yeah you know the, 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 the tough part was great word charming. The tough part was coming up with something new all the time mm -hmm. that wasn't just repeating what you did you know but but that's the fun of it yeah well, that's perfect for my, I was going to ask you how, if it was, and if so, how challenging was it to not only do a monthly book, but also do the cover? It, you know, I had, I have to say that it was, it physically, yes, it can be tough, mm -hmm. but it's the only way you get good mm -hmm. at comics. I'm not saying as an artist, but there's really great illustrators who do comics but it's not comics to me because you have to go through this uh really tough 12 issues a year is tough and i think i wanted to be a really good comic book artist first then i could do the illustration stuff if i have to and i can do that um but something inside yourself grows when it's in that position uh the ideas come the confidence comes when you have to do 22 pages in a cover a month mm -hmm. and you don't get a break you go right on to the next and if you want a break you better keep your deadline so you can have a few days in between of nothing uh but usually i spent that time getting my reference because you know doug would tell me and i'd go to the bookstores and i'd find what i needed Mm -hmm. But my style developed then and my uh, more importantly, my ways of thinking st started then. I could read Doug's, Doug's scripts during that period and visualize it all. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to the actual drawing of the page, I didn't have to lay outs and I have to do all this other crap. I, I could see it because I've been focusing so much on making my deadlines. Your mind just instantly goes to work. And I would read the script uh, and while reading it, these things would happen. I might write a few notes, but I wouldn't draw anything because I want all my energy to be, I don't want to 
be bored while I'm doing it. So yeah. all of my energy would be design on the page, do everything. You save a lot of time that way, but it, it, and I will say the first four or five months were tough okay. mm-hmm. uh, because you can't be late and you can't eat the time of your inker and your letterer and your colorist. You have to be done in the time they give you. So they get the time they need to make a really good product. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of mental exercise, that kind of discipline, uh, and, th- and that discipline can be more than I physically have to do it. It's, you have to tell your friends, no, I can't go bowling. You know, tell your girlfriend, can't go to the movies. You know, yeah. uh, you have to, on a couple of occasions, I had to miss or cut short holiday things because I had to make these dates. You're not doing it for yourself. You're not even doing it for the editor, but the people, I had a lot of friends, uh, uh, who worked at comic book stores. And so I knew what it was like when a book was late then, or it didn't come in on time or whatever, and what it meant financially and what it also meant to the readership. So I, I had these friends who worked at comic book stores. So I knew that end of it. I, I would be aware of it. And I just felt I can't fail because I'm tired today, or I can't fail because I wanted to, I can't. So for that three years, um, they, that's what I did. I was a comic book artist and I can, I can still do that. I can go right into that. I still keep, I don't really need an editor to tell me to keep on me to get something in, mm-hmm. but I do, I always ask them, when do you need it? And then I do it. Um, it's just, it's ingrained in me now, but if you can do those things, you're given a lot more freedom. Danny O'Neill would say, well, you're in every month, go to town. If you want to add these things, if you want to do this stuff, because, uh, uh, you know, I did do a very, very different Batman. And people say, well, you did you go in there and were arrogant? Or, no, I was on time and Denny rewarded me with freedom. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. I'm trying to think now, as far as concerning Batman, have, have you done pretty much all the covers of the stories that you did the interior artwork? Yeah. Okay. I thought so too, unless there was something that I was missing. I, I, that... I think somebody had told me I probably done more Batman covers than anyone else. I'd believe it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't keep track of it. I, I would yeah. be shocked if that were true, but they had told me they'd counted them up and probably, yeah, there was about 10 years where it, uh, it seems like I did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, whenever I would do Batman subsequently and other things, uh, mm-hmm. I did, I've done three or four mini series with him and I've mm-hmm. done all those too. So yeah, I guess it's a lot of covers. I, I don't really think of it in, sure. somebody can count them up and tell me if I, that's right or wrong, but. Well, I mean, just off the top of my head, the uh, Gotham after midnight was 12. Kings of yeah. fear was six. Unseen was six. The yeah. haunted Gotham was four. This yeah. run, I don't know how many issues were in it's these. That, yeah. It's, I, uh, it's adding yeah. up fast. <laughs> yeah, there's 36, then all night fall and night quest. And that's yeah. probably another 20 or 30. I don't know. It's a lot of covers. Yeah. Um, I can remember. Uh, I can remember in those days, you weren't given like now where they'll hire someone just to do covers and they'll have mm-hmm. a long time. We geez, we were given day, day and a half, maybe. Wow. You had to, they would tell you what it was 
in my case, I was kind of lucky because they didn't really tell me what it was early on. And mm -hmm. then, uh, and then when I was doing the books, I didn't really go through, I used to just turn them in finished to save time. I didn't go through an approval process. Um, but since I was, you know, they would say, for example, they would say the cover, Kelly, the cover's due on Thursday. And they would tell me that Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday morning. Sure. So you had to just sit down and draw a picture and do it and get it into the FedEx box and ship it off. Is that a case of first idea? You run with the first idea? Yeah, you do. And and that's another thing that's good about being in a the the real treadmill of the monthly grind is you you focus your head pretty good. And and that that in and of itself makes better pictures. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you're it, a lot of people say, well, aren't you rushed? Aren't you this? You know, no, you're, you're, you have fear of missing that deadline. So you have to be good. It has to be interesting and you have to be on time. I think a lot of times, uh, no, I'm not crazy. If someone comes in and says something like, you know, and I've been able to do it a few times, but if they come in and say this enormous amount of work in the short amount of time and, uh, I'll do what I can, but a lot of times I couldn't. Uh, but with with Batman, it was something where uh, I knew where to shortcut. And one of the shortcuts I wasn't going to take was on my art. So I would take it on waiting that somebody would get back to me and say, this is okay or not. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't give a lot of, uh, I mean, I would go straight to, uh, for example, I didn't go through approvals, but I would send the stuff Xerox to them the original stuff to the anchor John Beatty without waiting for it to go in this big thing. So he would get it directly and just go to town. Um, I would send co the copies would go to Todd Klein so he could letter if he had to in advance. But a lot of times we'd do it fast like that. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'd send it directly to Todd. Wouldn't go through the office, but that would save time. Mm -hmm. And they began to appreciate that. At first it, it spooked them, obviously would. But what happened was Doug, Doug was a big av advocate of that. And uh, we were picking up time. Monthly, you lose time. I was picking up time, yet I was doing an enormous amount of detail. And I was doing an enormous amount of, of uh, complicated layouts. And uh, uh, that, that cape was harder to do than if I was drawing him physically, just showing his physicality all the time. Mm -hmm. um, that took a lot of time to do, and it took a lot of time to ink on John's uh, behalf. So, uh, but it was different, and mm -hmm. I could tell the results were there, and all of these things served the end result. It was the ends did justify the means, and God bless the fact that I was around other people in charge who had written and drawn books who said, "Yeah, we get it." If they hadn't done that, there's no way to explain it to someone who's not been through that. Yeah. And there's a lot of editors who don't do that. They have never done it before. So if you're working with Denny O'Neill would get it. Archie Goodwin got it. Doug Mitch, they all understood. Okay, that works. And so these, anywhere I could save time, I would. So I could come up with chapter breaks and intro panels and exit panels and all that extra goodies. Um, uh, I tried to, I tried to, give readers in my head 
their money's worth, but also a reason to be proud to be a Batman fan, that they were getting something unique. That was, that's all you can do. Do you have, for whatever reason, emotionally, uh, as a fan, just on the looks alone, do you have a cover of yours that stands out amongst the others? There was one I remember being pretty proud of where they did not know they needed it. And they said, look, if you can't, we understand, but it, we got to have one by tomorrow morning. This, they gave me maybe four or five hours. There was a snafu with the office that happens and it's no Mm -hmm. one's fault. And they said, we need one. Uh, It was for one of the nightfall covers. And all they said was Batman. uh, We think, we think he's in a sewer but we need it for solicitation. We need it for this. We've got a run going. And I said, he's in a sewer. Okay. So I drew Batman drowning with rats on his head. And I just, it was like, I can remember just putting the forms down and having enough to go by and then taking the chance to ink a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff there that hadn't been drawn because whereas they say I had five hours, I really had less than that because I had to then, box it and drive it to the FedEx people. And I knew that if traffic's bad, I got to allow for traffic. So my time window got smaller and smaller, <laughs> but it turned out to be when it was said and done a terrific cover. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my personal favorites, just even without all these hair raising circumstances, that one stood out to me quite a bit uh, just because at that point, I remember thinking, God, I'm kind of a comic book artist. You know, I'm kind of, <laughs> I can do this. It started uh, to settle in a little bit. Read, you know, I would always read these stories, of these guys having to brew coffee and work all night and create masterpieces. Jim mm-hmm. Stranko and and Jack Kirby and all these guys and John Byrne, for Christ's sakes. Uh, and I can't touch, you know, the hem of their garb because those guys uh, just were geniuses. So... Uh, but when I was put in those situations, I kind of enjoyed it, you mm-hmm. know, because I knew a lot of guys wouldn't do it. Um, a lot of guys would shrink back from it. I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of them would. And uh, and I would take that as a challenge to see if I could do something really great or something really, really uh, terrific and make all of these hurdles. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, uh, I mean, I see all the flaws all the time, but that was one where I saw it. I went, okay. And there's a, but there's a bunch of the covers actually I didn't enjoy at the time. You don't really think of it that way. You're just thinking, do, do you hit the storytelling marks? Do you hit the stuff they want in it? And, and is it satisfying just at that moment? It's the run itself. I didn't really look at for about 10 years, 11 years after then i did and uh i have to say that when you're not given a chance to worry about something like we were then just get it done it mm-hmm. came out pretty damn good i mean i i can say that now at the time i wouldn't have at the time you just see all the mistakes or the missed opportunities or if i sure. only had this or if that but all of that washes away to where you can just look at it and uh you know, I had an editor at DC tell me recently it was the last they they had said that was the last long run by any artist. Uh, it was three years and 
I've been doing all these covers and it was so eccentric. Um, not, they're not saying good or bad. They're just saying that kind of comic book way of doing it um, because it did evolve out of that uh, to where there would be six issue arcs or four issue arcs, that kind of thing. And they would switch up the artists and stuff like that. But at the time we were doing it, uh, it was Doug's baby. I mean, what he wanted to do mm-hmm. and Denny ran interference and it was their thing. You know, I, it's terrific situation to be in. For me, for no other reason, other than just to tell you the two uh, covers that stand out to me the most, the one for five sixteen made the cover yep. of the hardcover. Yep. I love that. And then it was great because I think you even posted it on social media recently. Five twenty four. Scarecrow. Yep. yep the scarecrow. I love that Scarecrow. Yeah. Uh, that um, cover. I love those two issues. I think the opening panel of the first, I mean, what, how fun was that to draw a Scarecrow, like Jonathan Crane Scarecrow on? Well, you know, uh, is the, Scarecrow. The, in a <laughs> okay. The influence of the Scarecrow was from the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, Ray Bolger plays him like all mm-hmm. loosey goosey. Because yeah. he has no physical muscles and stuff. He's straw in it. And that had always struck me of what an interesting way to do him. Mm-hmm. That he is, that that you can do Jonathan Crane that way. Um, and then he started, you know, to me, he had like uh, this, this sort of a, ha- of what a, a skullish face, a hor- horrific face, because yeah. he was there to terrify, right? The fear gas. I loved everything. The Scarecrow is, is one of those great villains to me because mm-hmm. uh, he, he has so much you can do with him that way. Uh, and, and then the other cover you're talking about was that was, I had been doing it for a long time and I wanted to let people know there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> and so I did a very symbolic thing of Batman. He has, he's on the skulls, which mm-hmm. is to say, this is going to be a scarier Batman, yeah. more noirish, more Gothic. He had the, uh, the magnifying glass bringing back to actually doing detective work because he was based on Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he was not in this big heroic pose, but in one that's like he's going to pounce. So there was all these things saying, not just yeah. am I drawing it, but this is the tone of that that book. Um, and that that was not anything I, you know, it's nothing you say, hey, DC, I'm going to do this. I didn't do that. I just thought, well, I'm going to let everyone know visually. Yeah. There's, there's a book and, and you got to remember the, the, the title was coming off this massive all connected thing, you know, and they finally finished telling these two huge story arcs. And I think they were all exhausted. So when I came along, they were like, Oh, good. All we have to do is Doug, tell us what the story's about. And yeah. Kelly draws it. And there's no more coordinating it with everybody else. And did they get these elements, right? Did it all connect? It's like a big Lego. They didn't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, they would give me that kind of, uh, a breather, you know, speaking of that. So that was actually my introduction to your work, um, was receiving the first volume of nightfall collected in a trade. 
I came from small town, no comic shop in the area. I just knew I loved Batman. I had a, a, a stack of singles, but I hadn't come across your work yet. And then reading yeah. that collected trade and those covers in, in a good way, yeah, it terrified me. Yeah. I and the of course the four, I think 497, Batman 497 of yep. Bane, so huge break in it, but it was a few issues before that. 493 of Zaz yep. coming behind Batman with yes. the knife. Yeah. And Batman is so he's so big, but then also not sagging, but like his cape and everything is like maybe right. melted or so. But it was yeah. so striking to me of Zaz coming behind him. And I never heard of this character. I didn't know who he was. And then right. that issue also scared me because it was, I think it was illustrated by uh, Norm Brayfogle. And it's like the, the issue lived up to the cover. Yeah. So that was the, I mean, you talked earlier about like, how did people feel and discovering your work and stuff? And it's like, I can remember that, that that was a standout to me of like, this is like, this is you know, a scary story. I, I always appreciate that because I never saw myself. I'm too close to it. I'm just doing mm-hmm. these things. But I would have uh, what you just said I had. Uh, I've had numerous editors at DC tell me the same thing when they were yeah. young and they were reading it. And that issue, those covers, that whole thing. So I, I do appreciate it. It wasn't like I didn't know they would be frightening. I thought they'd be frightening. I didn't know they were that different from everything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't think like that then I, I, um, because I'm always kind of in awe of other artists being able to do stuff. You always see what you always see what you can't do in other people. So I would just go and I had no fear of being stereotyped. Yeah. I'm this, you know, I'm the guy who draws the scary. I, I had no fear of that. I would go further with it. So when I do hear that, I do appreciate that because that's the point of a cover and that's the goal you want as an artist is to, people would know it. I've had a lot of, I did a signing recently and it, I was, I'm still surprised how many people said as a kid, those stories or those covers freaked them out. Uh, it like, they would stare, it would scare them. And I'm the same way. I'm, I'm not a guy who goes, yeah, I love all the scary stuff. I do love the scary stuff, but I watch horror films like this, like everybody <laughs> else. And, and I go, Oh, I don't need to see that. You know, I'm one of those, but I'm attracted to it. You know, it, I'm attracted to it and I, it's like, okay, I'll take a look. Yeah. So I kind of work probably a psychiatrist would say, well, you're working it all out on paper. Maybe, I don't know, but when I'm doing it, I'm not thinking this'll get them. I'm always thinking, Ooh, that, Ooh, or it gets to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I'm not good at saying, well, this is what they're going to like, or they're going to react this way. I do it where how I react to it or my dreams on these paper and, and, and then see, you know, if other people react to it, um, you can't do this stuff. I don't think you can create anything in a grim mindset or a dark mindset. You have to be happy. You gotta, Mm -hmm. gotta be nice. Everything's good. And then you can do it. Then you have the energy and then you have the, all the cool stuff will come out. Um, uh, you say that that's almost i mean it's almost if people didn't know kelly jones and hadn't heard him talk i mean just looking at your work and i was like oh he must just be in all black long black hair and scary just walking yeah. around with candlelit and it's like no he's actually he's he looks fun he looks very happy he's in a yeah. he's got the I've lights had, on look, <laughs> i had uh i remember meeting uh i was at a thing and frank cho wanted to meet me mm-hmm. and he came up to me and he says i don't 
uh, and we spoke for a few minutes and he interrupted me because he was he was very kind. He was saying all the kind of stuff we're talking about what I was doing. And he says, I don't mean to say this. I'm a little disappointed. He says, because you're not like how you describe like I'm wearing a cloak or something. He says, you're fairly well-adjusted, happy person. And I go, yeah, Sorry. because you can't, I, yeah, I can't work the other way. I can't, I, I mean, I'm certain people can do it and good for them. But I think all the people I really like who do that kind of material, we're pretty happy people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, I think I uh, something David Lynch said something to that effect once and it attracted me he says, well, if you're tired or you're down or you're grim or you're moody or you're depressed, you can't create good stuff. You have to get, he always said, you have to eat right and you have to get enough sleep and then you can create nightmares. And I went, that's true. <laughs> that's, what a that's quote. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, if David says it, it's okay. Yeah. Um, like, I want to respect your time. So I just have a couple more questions. Sure, go um, ahead. Was there, I mean, we've just kind of talked about how much Batman stuff you've gotten to do. Do you have a standout, I mean, we can broaden it to, aside from Batman, Batman would be too yeah. easy. But whether it's a villain or even a character, one of his allies, that was your, when Doug would send a script, uh, or even Scott Peterson would send a script, or, you know, that yeah. you kind of lit up a little bit, because you're like, oh, I get to draw this character i think uh when uh the the first time was uh when doug wrote the two-parter with the scarecrow mm -hmm. i lit up uh that one the uh the, the other time it was right around the same time was I really wanted a shot at Mr. Freeze. And they said, you can't do Mr. Freeze. There's a moratorium. And, and I, they just didn't like Mr. Freeze there. Doug didn't have a problem with it. But they finally said, if I didn't ask for anything for a year from them like this, they would give me one issue of it, right? So Doug wrote a single issue of Mr. Freeze. Mm -hmm. and, that was, and that was another one that once I realized they were against it, I felt, okay, now I've got to show them that he can be a terrific villain. And he can be visually interesting and very different. And so I, I really enjoyed that. I loved, uh, I did a couple issues with the penguin and I, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't think I, I'm, I'm not a guy who goes down the rogues gallery because Doug invented some really terrific into, there's a great one that I, I personally like, um, where this, where I read it and it just slipped me up and he didn't tell me, he says, I'm going to write this pulpy thing. If you don't like it, we won't do it, but it's a, like a double size issue. It was this one called the ogre and the ape. And it was because he had been reading all these thirties and forties pulps. And he says, why don't we just do a pulp, just one. That's like a thirties and forties thing. And that has a, a certain thing at that time of, uh, 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 that that really touched on some things for him that were important and i dug that i mean i really uh i thought wow this is so different and and i think that's some of my best drawing in there he did another one with um the specter that i thought oh yeah uh, which which again another kind of a left field thing but that one was a blast uh uh, the fact that you put the Joker and the demon together, God, I, now you're mm -hmm. going to just, I, I sound like I'm saying every one of them, but as you're making me remember, I remember thinking, oh, this will be a blast to do. This will be a lot yeah. of fun. Um, and they were. And again, I go back and I'll reread these. And there's times where everyone does this. It's like if you see an old picture of yourself, you go, oh, 
you know, yeah. uh, or you did. <laughs> but those maybe because I was working with such really talented people and Doug, certainly Doug, John and Greg were there. And I'm not just complimenting to do it. I was genuinely in awe of what those guys did because they had mm. big careers before they came to. I was the kid on that <laughs> thing. They had been around. They had really earned their chops. And so uh, when I came along, I was just uh, happy to be there. But when I look at these things now, they're they really stand up and they're better than I remember. I, I The stuff that I was embarrassed by or I would be ashamed of, I, I'm not so much anymore. I look at it, I go, man, that all came together. But Doug used to tell me that. He says, hey, if it if there's those things, I'll tell you that because he was a rough in that. His criticisms were really rough, but they were true. Yeah. And you had to listen to him. And he didn't really ever do that. Uh, he would just say, uh, you know, what, to him did the goals did we hit the goals or the achieve what we wanted to with it uh but as far as the things that i would be concerned with no he was like hey these are fine this is really this is really good uh and you got to remember too we had in that period i would say easily half the audience was like 12 13 years old mm -hmm. It isn't like now where you're dealing with a far older audience. Yeah. There are a lot of kids. So we would get fabulous mail that would influence the story saying, well, how does he, you know, how does he do this? Or how does that happen? Or, uh, you know, what's in the belt or how does the bat, the, you know, the batarang work and where, you know, how many different one was, uh, they had noticed, uh, or thought one kid had said something to the effect, well, he's really rich. Why would he only have one Batmobile? So I took that and said, he's right. He would have them all and stashed all over town. Why would he have to go all the way back to the Batcave and get, yeah. no, he'd have, he owns half of, you know, all these where he'd hide them everywhere. So, but that was a good 12 year old kid question. Yeah. That was great. And wow. it, it opened doors, you know. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was just gonna say. That it kind of opened up some some avenues. Yeah. Of, hey, here's some extra uh, bits to a story. Is there any character? Is there any character that maybe? And I mean, we can expand this too. That you didn't get to draw, or uh, you wanted to draw more of, and you didn't. Uh, get to. I always wanted to do Hugo Strange because he was yeah. a mad scientist. Oh, that'd be a great. Yeah, Kelly and, Jones. And I always <laughs> wanted to shot at him. Again, that was to be in the fourth year. I wanted. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, the fourth year was going to be really terrific. And I don't mean that because we didn't do it, but it had all been kind of set up when you see this little marionette guy, it was to lead to that fourth year, no matter what, I was probably four years as I figured people want to break, you know, move on <laughs> to some new guy. Um, but I always wanted to do Hugo Strange and I loved, I loved Hugo Strange. Um, just like I said, he was a mad scientist who did, all these incredible things, uh, you know, make monsters and all that stuff. I would have been perfect uh, in, in my way of thinking. So I wanted a shot at him uh, if, if that was the case. And if it was about doing more of a character I, and also Ra's al Ghul, I wanted to do something with Ra's al Ghul. Um, uh, he, was a, he was in Kings of Fear a little bit, right? A little bit. And, yeah. and, uh, and now it's because I begged so I could just draw him at least once. Yeah. But I always wanted to do something with Roz. D Doug was always careful with it because he says, hey, well, you know, that's Denny's guy. 
Yeah. And I said, well, I'll ask Danny if it's okay to do a raw story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I mentioned it to Danny, it was funny. He goes, well, yeah, I, I was kind of <laughs> wondering why you weren't, you know, I, he was flattered that I would, I'd say, no, I love Ross and I love, you know, he rejuvenates himself. There's so much I could do with that. You know? And uh, so I uh, was pretty, uh, I missed that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but other characters I wanted to do more of, I certainly want to do more with Mr. Freeze. Um, yeah. uh, that was one that I, I had more stuff I wanted to do. And I thought he would have been uh, absolutely terrific. And I wanted a shot at the Riddler. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I didn't see him as crazy. Uh, you know, they kind of play him up as bizarre or whatever. And I didn't see him that way at all. I saw him as a pushed around guy who was getting even. Mm-hmm. And the riddles were to say how much smarter he was. And uh, at that point, um, that that would have been an interesting take. You know, that would have been one of those things where um, I could I could go to town with that. You know, uh, hope springs eternal, right? Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. maybe. Uh, and lastly, in this the this collection. Did you get to write your biography in the back? Uh, in, I, I don't Because think... I, I, I want to know if this holds true. Uh, Jones continues to enjoy drawing comics because it remains one of the only jobs where you can listen to a ball game while yep. you work and not get into trouble. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't actually. That was something that uh, I had said to one of the assistant editors one time. Nice. And he had called and I was listening. I had a ball game on. And uh, yeah, that's another thing where I probably disappointed people then because I didn't come in a cape and cowl and I would <laughs> stop and say, do you know the score of something? Um, but yeah, I would. Uh, uh, well, I remember when I was a kid in school, it was it was, you know, the game would be in those days, the playoff games would be in the afternoon and you'd go crazy because you couldn't mm-hmm. follow it, you know. But no, they had heard me say that. And uh, and he just threw that in there and that's kind of stuck through the years because they all kind of like that they all enjoyed that i was i would do that i remember disappointing a lot of people i i did a signing with uh uh neil gaiman uh when we were doing sandman and i came with a san francisco giants cap on and it was like you don't do that at sandman signing (laughs) you know they're, they're all uh they're all in different modes of alienation and i'm sitting there going you know with this ball cap on and just blew the whole thing i told neil i apologize and took the (laughs) (laughs) uh that's funny uh i could i think i could keep asking and talking to you all day but uh i really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me all things batman it's great it's It's been a lot lot of fun fun. uh you've been I, i think i can say your art stands out and i would imagine i'm not an artist i can't even draw a good stick figure uh, but well, I would imagine you know. <laughs> as, an, <laughs> as an artist, it, I, I hope it comes off as a compliment when your art, somebody can look at it, not yeah. know any context and know that's Kelly Jones. No, and, and let me tell you, that's uh, I, when I first started doing this, uh, I had some very good editors, uh, uh, Ralph Macchio, who was Frank Miller's editor and a lot of terrific editors I worked with. And they had said that the goal of any artist is good or bad, they mm-hmm. know it's you. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and they told me how many guys that doesn't happen for that that, that uh, they don't know who they are. Um, they can be extremely talented, uh, but they haven't defined themselves in a style. And to me, it wasn't so much finding a style as much as finding who I was and putting that on paper, what I liked and putting it on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just in, in the typical nerdy way, but the emotional way, like uh, what's the atmosphere I want? What And, and that has to carry through. I, I And that started with Dead Man, where I just let that out. And so mm-hmm. people would say, boy, you really changed. And I go, no, I didn't really change. I just I just did not do, you can't get better. What you can do though, and that's what I always tell people, there's no, the getting good or better, or whatever, that's that's all subjective. Um, but letting that what's up in your head come out to paper, mm-hmm. well, that can be embarrassing for people and they don't want to do it because that's very revealing. And what if they reject it and that's who you really are, you know, and they say, oh, we really hate that. Um, well, I was okay with that because I did it the other way, was doing very well, and I didn't care, and nobody knew who I was. Mm-hmm. When I started doing this, they immediately knew who I was. And uh, and that was, uh, again, there's nothing better than being free when you do this, even in the constraints of really tight deadlines or really uh, some brutal situations. But if you're free and you're doing your own thing, you look forward to it every day, you know? And you don't feel like when it's said and done that the thing that matters, did it sell or not? Or did it do? No. Were you happy in doing it that day? Books tend to find audiences long after you're gone too. Long after you're out of there, someone will come along and go, you know, I really like this. And it's 15 years after you did it. You know, they didn't know. Or they, they changed their mind on something because they've got enough, enough of a worldview or, a, or experience in comics to realize something different was here that was speaking with a certain sincerity, not, an, not to take your money, but to try to tell you a story or, or say, hey, kid, come here, look at this thing. Um, and that's the only way I know how to do it. So uh, no, I appreciate it when people say, I know who that is, you know, good he's or disappoint- bad. He's disappointing because he's not dressed in a, you know, yeah, and, uh, that's it. And long I hair I and everything, but <laughs> no, because uh, uh, you know, you raise kids, you're married, you go out into life and stuff like that. That's where you recharge your batteries, anyway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then you come back to it and you say, okay, like for example, I really only draw in my studio. I don't hmm. take a sketch sketch pad and draw out in the world or anything. In fact, my God, I've been married for ever my wife of however long and 30 some odd years and and it's like she's never seen me draw other than in my studio and what i do is i try to just keep all that excitement and energy for the drawing board that's great and then when i go out uh you're just thinking and you know i'll Mm -hmm. have it's not like i'm not artistic or anything um but that's where the uh, ideas will pop into my head but generally, uh, and I'm creative outside of this, but it's not drawing. I'll sure. do other things that are creative. But, but when I'm drawing, I like it to be in that one place to where I don't spend time in my studio other than when I'm working. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's exciting that way still. It stays exciting. 
And that's great. And it's a great idea. I think it's a great mindset. Yeah. Well, you just, you know, it isn't like I started doing that. It's what Mm -hmm. I discovered. Mm -hmm. And then I remember thinking this is working for me, you know, and it makes its own environment. And even, even friends. And like I said, friends, my wife, whatever they go, it does feel different in that room than the rest of the house or the, wherever it is, it just feels different, but then it doesn't hurt that I still have all the stuff I collected when I was 10 years old. Sure. And, you know, <laughs> uh, I still have all my posters and all my, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. uh, all my old comics and stuff that I love. And uh, it has that, it has that real uh, certain energy that y- you can't get fake. It has to be real. You know, it's all these odds and ends. It's the flotsam and jetsam of my life is still in that room from when I was this little kid up till now. That's great. Uh, do you, is there anything you want to plug away? Anything that's coming well, up for you? Your Twitter? I have now? a, I do have a short story coming out for DC. That's a Batman dead man story. Yes. And uh, I do have uh, a couple of short things like that coming up, okay. but uh and then there's the thing, obviously, you don't want me to talk about, but there is a project I'm doing with Matt Wagner. Awesome. Fairly involved and large. And that's what I'm spending a lot of time on. And that they'll tell me when to, that I can talk sure. about it, but that'll be fairly soon. Okay. And then what is your, do you know what your, I mean, is it just at Kelly Jones on Twitter, which I highly recommend um, as a fan. I love the, the art that you're, that you're posting. Oh, of thank yours. you. Well, yeah, like so I said, please I just, keep doing I, it. <laughs> I will. I just do it as a fun thing. Well, they asked me to do it, right? Because they said, mm-hmm. "Are you need to do this?" And they took Matt and I's arms and put them behind our backs and said, "You have to do <laughs> yeah. this." So I said, "Okay," and I looked at it for a bit. And you know, you hear all the horror stories of Twitter and all those things. And I figured, well, I'm just gonna, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna put out art. And yeah. have it be a fun thing to do. Just look at art and see it in its raw state mm-hmm. and not really push or sell or anything. Just show art and just let people enjoy seeing stuff like that. Because it's interesting to me, you know, to see mm-hmm. the coffee stains on it, <laughs> all the <Sure>. racing <laughs> and all the mistakes. And uh, uh, so I, I do appreciate that. And I'm glad it, you know, I've like I said, I've only been doing it about six weeks or so mm-hmm. maybe two months, not, not that long, but it's, uh, it's been, as long as I keep doing it like that, it seems to be a lot of fun. Great. Well, on this, on this end, it's, it seems rewarding for us. It's pretty fun. Thank so you. again, thank you. I, I thank you, uh, sir, for sitting down and talking to me. This has been a, a very great conversation that I, I couldn't have expected to have gotten the opportunity. So oh, much no, appreciated. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm pretty easy going on that. So, uh, yeah. No, but you know, again, I've said it before. I've, I've, I still think of myself more as a fan who gets published than some professional speaking. To, I'm, I'm a fan. Like, well, when you started, you get me going on Engelhart Rogers, and I will go, mm-hmm. and not from some lofty position, but as, yeah, do you see this? It's really great. I mean, I, I, there's always something to learn, and that I've still, you know, I could, uh, you get me alone with Steve Engelhart, and I'll drive him nuts but i did that with every i I worked with len ween on some swamp things and i used to Mm -hmm. just say you get all the business crap out of the way and then i'd fanboy on him like crazy and it was fun (laughs) Uh, i did it to john byrne once so i sat next to him and i didn't care what he was going to react i had my moment i'm going to fanboy on him 
and he was totally pleasant about it. You know, he you had it. your Batman 493 cover moment with him. <laughs> yes, I did. I went on and on about uh, all this stuff. Yeah. And th- th- you find people are very gracious about it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I think they're surprised, you know, to, to be honest. But um, <clears throat> like I said, I never took any formal art training. I never did anything. I never thought I would be doing this, much less a career in it for all these years. I mean, I've been doing it professionally since October 31st, if that isn't that wow. odd. Yeah. Uh, October 31st, 1982. And I was Great. like a kid. I was I was just a kid. They pulled me out of a hat and said, you know, let's do it. I thought it would only last a year or two at best because I was going to school and I figured, eh, you know, but mm-hmm. it has lasted all these years. So I haven't had that moment where you get the diploma or you know you moved on or whatever. It was like I was a kid then and it stayed that way. And, uh, you know, when I met Bernie Wrightson, I was very, you know, I was doing this, but I didn't let him know. I chucked my badge and went up and stood in line and geeked like everybody else. And I did yeah. because he was owed that to me. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. that. I wanted mm-hmm. that. I didn't, I didn't want to do it the other way. So I like doing that with these guys. When I meet them, I'm like anyone else. It's like, I'm tongue tied and I got to take a breath and then, and not, and just tell them how much I love what they did or what it meant to me. Um, that it still matters to me, mm-hmm. that it's actually means more to me now than it did then. And that's amazing. Um, but that's, that's the fun of this. And how many things happen in your life? And this is why comics are different. Is that that love you have of, as a kid stays with you through your whole life. And you're right there again. You can stay in touch with that energy um, and not feel goofy about it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a purity that a lot of people lose. They, they, they always say you can't go home again. Well, you can if you collect comics because you're still that person who can remember when you bought that thing off the stands and when you read it, what it meant to you. And nothing else really has that. Um, there's, there's just this joy in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the thing I always wanted to, you know, I, I don't see myself as, as, Anything more than a fan who got really lucky who could sit next to really important people who did this and, and drive them nuts <laughs> or, <laughs> or uh, you know, because I used to do yeah. it to Len Wein pretty good. I did it to Doug Minchin tolerably. Um, we got to talk about work. I remember I said, yeah, we will. But you did this thing yeah. in Shang-Chi and I got to know blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then he'd get talking about it. And we'd lose an hour. Um, same with Len. I would just drive him crazy with stuff about what he did. And he would go, okay, okay, okay. And I would, but that was the fun of it. And it was, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I wasn't asking for any other reason than for my own personal enjoyment, you know? Mm-hmm. And there is something to that when, when, you know, you sit there and you think, God, now it's like I'm 12, but with all the, <laughs> all the responsibilities of an adult, but yeah. I still have this this thing where uh, I feel sorry for my friends in the regular world. They, they have none of the stuff they were when they were a kid, right? They have none yeah. of those things. All of us, we drag it around like poor Marley and his chain, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> everywhere we go, we have all this stuff and it's just wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. um, there, that, that kind of passion, uh, you know, it's 
ups, it's got as good as bad, but mostly it's good. Mostly good. Always mostly. good. Yeah. Always good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time yet again. I'll keep Thank telling you, Brian, you that. I, I liked it a lot. It was great talking to you and hearing your insight on all right. All of Thank your you hard very work. much, sir. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Let me know and uh, how this, uh, and I'll put it up on my stuff too. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you uh-huh. very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, a massive thank you to Kelly Jones for sitting and talking with me. Uh, it meant a great deal to me that I got to tell him some of my, you know, give him some insight on when I first was exposed to his Batman uh, characters, the Gotham City characters, his his world, his atmospheric, you know, Gotham City and how, I don't know, just how much I respect his work and really appreciate his work. So a huge thank you to him for talking with me. And I I hope you guys got a lot out of it just as much as I did. So you learn where you could follow Kelly on Twitter. And that's a huge recommendation for me to follow him on Twitter because he's sharing a lot of really cool art. That's a, that's a lot of fun to get a peek at. Um, But if you want to follow the Batman book club, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at the Batman BC for latest episode drops, upcoming episodes, and sometimes even some giveaways. If you want to watch my conversation with Kelly Jones, you can do that on the Batman Book Club's YouTube page. Just go to YouTube, the Batman Book Club, click subscribe. There you go. If you want to help support the show, there's a variety of ways that you can do that. Like I said at the top, patreon.com slash the Batman BC. You can also support the show with merchandise from T Public. Just go to tpublic.com. You can find uh, the Batman Book Club uh, t-shirts, hoodies, onesies, notebooks, uh, a, a variety of things you can uh, get to support the show. But if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all, that's 100% A-OK. Just go to the rate and review page on whatever podcast uh, source you listen to, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, uh, iHeartRadio, wherever. Just go to the rate and review page because the more reviews the show gets, the more it helps spreads the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So for Kelly Jones, I guess. I am Ryan Nauer. Until next time, read my panic comics. <laughs>